Hey everyone, my name is Jason Parker, and I want to welcome you to the Coastal Church Podcast. I'm super excited for you to hear this message. We believe that God wants to speak to us, and we hope that you're open to hear what He has to say to you today. Enjoy. We're pretty stoked to be here tonight. Uh, the team here from Yarmouth Wesleyan, we're uh, we always love to hear what God's doing here at Coastal, and we're always happy to come visit when we can. If we have not met before, my name is Brett. Uh, I am one of the pastors at Yarmouth Wesleyan. And just a little bit about me before we get too far. I uh, went to BMHS, graduated in 2018, and uh, went to university in New Brunswick for four years, where obviously I prepared to be a pastor. And then since then, since uh, the May, May of 2022, I've been at Yarmouth Wesleyan Church and loving it. Um, one of my favorite hobbies is fly fishing. Do we have any fly fishermen here? No one? Okay. I was expecting that, honestly. Uh, I love to fly fish. My cousin got me into fly fishing probably when I was uh, 15 or 16 or so. And um, ever since then, we, we have been fly fishing, the two of us. We go on um, annual trips. We love it. And I just like it because, you know, you're in nature. It's peaceful. It's calm. And you get to kind of just enjoy that element the most. Um, Fly fishing is a lot of fun when you're catching fish. I'm sure if you've, if you've never been fishing before, you, you understand this. Um, me and my cousin went on our annual fly fishing trip probably two months ago now. And we only, it was shorter than normal. We only had two, two and a half days to get the fly fishing in that we normally did. And the first two days were brutal. We didn't catch, we, we caught one fish between the two of us between those two days. And for those of you who haven't been fly, I mean, obviously all of you guys who haven't been fly fishing, um, I want to paint a picture for you, okay? When you're not catching any fish, this is your experience when you're fly fishing. It's hot out. It's humid, so you can't breathe. You're dehydrated because you probably didn't even pack any water, which is, makes it even worse because it's humid out. Uh, you're sweating, and you're sunburned, and you're full of bug bites, and it doesn't matter if you've got a bug net on, they're biting at your, your wrists and everything. Um, long, gruesome walks, just like walking down the river. What me and my cousin do, we go on Google Earth, and we look at where the rivers are, and we go try them out. And sometimes it's worth it, sometimes it's not. A lot of times it's not. And you're walking miles and miles and miles, and you're like going slowly down these rivers, and you're slipping on rocks, and... You go through the woods and your, your uh, hook gets caught on the branch. So you got to go turn around and take it to the branch. And then you run into a spider web. And then after you get past the spider web, you get your hook caught again in the tree. And it's just like, it is a test of patience. And one of the biggest frustrations, I actually brought a prop with me tonight. One of the biggest frustrations when I'm out fly fishing is when I got these waders on and... About halfway through the day, you start to feel something on your lower leg. You start to feel a leak in your bootleg. And then you think to yourself, oh, it's going to be a lot longer day now. And so you go through the rest of your day, and you're kind of dragging your boot along, full of water. Your other foot dries a bone. <laughs> And the other one is you got water up to your knee. And it's just miserable and it adds to the frustration that you're already experiencing. And you face discouragement, you face frustration, and you face a readiness to quit. 
Now, although you haven't been fly fishing before, I'm sure you can resonate with that, that struggle, with that, that tension that you just like, you're like, why do I take the next step? Why do I keep moving forward? It could be something as light as a hobby, like fly fishing, or maybe if you're a runner, you probably experience the same thing. Or it could be something a little heavier. Maybe it's a financial situation or something with your family. Maybe it's a health scare. Maybe you're just waking up the next day and wondering, I don't know if I can keep dragging this along. We're all familiar with this grind, with the struggle, the perseverance, the day-to-day living in a fallen world where it's tainted by sickness and curveballs and grief and loss and all sorts of things. It can almost feel like there's a wet blanket over top of our heads and we're just gasping for air, wondering how much longer we can go. It can be smothering. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask that you turn to James 5. Uh, we are going to have the verses up on the screen, um, but if you do have your Bible, James 5, 7 to 11. Now, if you call Coastal your home, you probably are aware that we've been journeying through, all three of our churches have been journeying through the book of James. And there's been a lot of strong words that James has shared. It's been pretty pointed. It's been very, like, uh, corrective. It kind of points out kind of areas that we often fall short. Uh, but these verses are a little different. James, we're at the tail end of the letter, and he's kind of ending off this letter with some hope, with some empathy for the future. So James 5, 7 to 11, this is what it says. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast or who persevere. You have heard of the steadfastness or the perseverance of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. There's a few takeaways I think we're going to... I think we can really glean from um, these verses here. But we're going to start out heavy, and we're going to end hopeful. Is everybody all right with that? If we start out heavy and end hopeful? Okay, I'm going to do it anyway, so let's go for it. First thing we can see from the verses here, what, what the Word of God is teaching us tonight, is that life involves suffering. This is not news to any of us. Life involves suffering. Life is struggle. And we have, if we have not learned that, based on experience or what life has taught us, at the very least, the word of God over and over will say that life is a struggle. We live in an unfinished, broken world. And it's not if that statement will come true for us, but often when will it come true for us. Life is struggle. Now, personally, I find it incredibly refreshing that the Bible is honest about this. I would much rather the Bible, the word of God, be honest that we will struggle, we will suffer, rather than this kind of blind optimism. And it's a contrast to the, this culture of positivity we live in, where the effort and the pressure is constantly on us to just put like a positive spin on all the things that happen in our lives. 
We feel whenever we are suffering or we are struggling that we constantly have to manage the perception of what we're going through. And we have to, yes, there's a place to be positive. There's a place to celebrate what God has done in your life. It's a discipline to be thankful, but also it's all right to be honest. And it's all right, like we see here, one of the things that is often repeated in, this, in these verses is be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Why do we have to be patient? Why would the Bible instruct us on that? It's because life is struggle. We suffer. We're up against things. We live in an unfinished world. Tim Keller, who was a pastor, a longtime pastor in New York City, this is what he said. Deep down, we cling to the simplistic idea that if we are good, life will go well. And this is simply untrue. We cling to the idea that if we are good, maybe we will be spared from suffering, and it rarely does play out that way. And a lot of scholars um, on the Bible, they'll, they'll use this language called the already, but the not yet. The already, but the not yet. And what that means is like God, God accomplished something through the person of Jesus. Jesus died for us. He was raised to life for us. He has started a new work or a new era of the church, but it's not finished yet. We still live in a broken world. We still deal with our own shortcomings and the shortcomings of other people as well. But there's still something to look forward to. We're going to get to that in a bit. But we live in this weird in-between where we see God move. And maybe you've been coming to CR and you're just surrounded by people who are experiencing deep freedom. And you have like a first row seat to how God is transforming people. But then there's also darker corners as well. There's also relationships that have been broken and habits that you probably wish you didn't have. We live in this unfinished world where we're waiting for God to bring about restoration. Life involves suffering. So there is good news, but I think it's important for us to define like where are we at right now? What is our reality as it is right now? The second thing I think the Bible's teaching us in this passage is that God does not waste our suffering. God does not cause our pain. He does not cause our suffering. But he will certainly not waste it. He will use and redeem whatever circumstance, whatever wall you're up against, whatever the pain is that you're experiencing, he will not waste it, and he will use it to form you. There is purpose. There is a greater purpose in the way you persevere. I think that kind of manifests in two ways. First one is that there is character formation in the fire. As you're going through trials, as you experience suffering that we all know, we all go through, God will form the very person that you are. To jump back to what we learned in James 1, this is what James said. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Don't you want that? I want that. I want to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And all of us probably have this notion of the type of person we want to become, the type of person that God wants us to become. Sold out for Jesus, generous, obedient, ready to forgive, ready to sacrifice, 
That's the sort of person that we, we want holiness. We want freedom. We all want to become that sort of person. However, we often don't want to go through the process that's required for us to grow into that person. There is care. God does not waste our suffering, and he will form you in the struggle and in the tension. But not only does he not waste it in the here and now, there's also eternal reward, okay? There's also something to look forward to. God gives us hope. He gives us promise for the people we are today. We are living in God's kingdom here and now, and he gives us hope for that. But he also gives us a promise to look forward to in the days to come. James earlier also says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because heaven stood the test. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I do not know what the crown of life is or if it's literal or figurative. I want it regardless. I don't know about you. I want that. I want the eternal reward that God gives out freely to those who persevere. We have hope for the here and now. But we also look forward to what is to come based off the promises that God gives us. You'll notice in these verses that there's a person that's mentioned. Does anybody remember the person that's mentioned in these verses? No? Okay, that's fine. Job. That's right. Job is mentioned here in these verses as an example of the purposes of God in the midst of suffering. Now, you may not even be a follower of Jesus, but you've probably heard of Job and his story. What we see in the Bible, also I should say this too, some scholars think that Job was the earliest book written in the Bible. Now, we can't really prove that, but it is interesting to think about how this could have been written as a precedent or as kind of a standard, like, you know what? This may be the case for all of us as we go about our lives. But what do we know about Job? This is what the Bible says about Job. He was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Just simple man that obeyed God. Sounds like someone we'd like to become. Sounds someone that we probably would have spent some time around. And shortly after, we see that Job's life takes a pretty significant turn for the worse. Within one day, within this one day, he loses all of his oxen, all of the sheep. Again, these are, you got to think, this is the ancient world. So these are, these are his investments. This is his wealth. These are his assets. He lost his ox and his donkey, his sheep, his camels, all because of raiders. And finally, in the same day, he lost all 10 of his children in a natural disaster. Now, if you put yourself in Job's shoes, you can probably start to think about what your first reaction would be if that was you. Again, one day in the raw emotion of everything being turned upside down, what would you be feeling? the adrenaline, the shock, the denial, what, what uh, thoughts would be going through your head, what words would you speak, how would you interact with other people, what would your first reaction be if you were in Job's shoes? And we see just shortly after, the Bible describes what Job's response was. It says that he fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin 
or charge God with wrong. Job went through all of it. And we see at the end of Job's story is that God, as he goes through the struggle, as he complains to his friends, as he tries to work out how this all makes sense in his mind and his heart, at the very end of Job's story, do you know what we see? God pours out blessing because Job was faithful. He blessed him with more kids. He blessed him with more um, sheep and animals and you name it, all the riches, all the wealth, all the things that made sense for him. He blessed, it. He blessed Job with that. Job was formed. Job became somebody in the fire. And he's cited thousands of years later as an example to us today. And lastly, one of the things we see in these verses is that God is compassionate and merciful. And I think this is important because as you look at Job's story, how do we trust God? If you're in the midst of suffering, if you're struggling to be able to say, yes, I know that God doesn't waste my suffering. It's hard to actually cling on to hope that God has your best interest at heart. And that's why I'm so thankful for promises like this in scripture, that we can go to the objective word of God, the objective truth, and remind ourselves, you know what? doesn't matter what I'm facing. God is compassionate and God is merciful. We can trust him. The last point I want to bring up, and I think this is where God stirs hope in us. Obviously, life involves suffering. We've talked about that. And we see that God doesn't waste our suffering. But lastly, Jesus solves our suffering. Jesus solves our suffering. Now, before we get too far, you may think, you know what? Perfect. The issue I'm dealing with tonight, I'll go home and it'll be no longer. Sometimes we long for God's power in the present, but sometimes this promise doesn't come true until eternity happens. But Jesus has solved our suffering. He died on the cross for us and was raised to new life. He solved our suffering. You may think, you may even conjure up images of preachers on TV through the 70s or 80s. And, you know, they're on there trying to sell you holy water for 100 bucks. And if you buy this holy water, all the ailments you got will, will, go, will go away. And come to find out, you only had to pee three hours later. You may just have these ideas or these notions or these empty promises that well-meaning people have spoken over you. And I cannot tell you whether God will solve what you're going through. I cannot tell you whether God will just orchestrate things perfectly so that things are resolved in the here and now. But what we do see in these verses is Jesus is coming soon. The day is near. And it's in that day that God will finish what he started. He will bring wholeness. He will bring completion. He will, he has solved our suffering. And it is in the process. There, but there will be the, a day in the next era of human history where it is solved forever. One of the races that I used to race in track and field is the 400 meter race. Anybody here run the 400 meter race? No one? Oh, you guys. <laughs> yeah, we got Jay over here. I'll take it. One person of the two illustrations. The 400-meter race is essentially one run around the track. It's one lap around the track. And it's one of the harder races because it's considered a sprint. So you're going, it's pretty far 
to go full tilt, but you have to go full tilt because you're in a race. And it's not long distance where you can kind of pace yourself over the long haul. And so the normal kind of strategy for racing a 400 meter race is that you start out around 85%. Use 85% of your speed. And you, once you get to like that halfway mark, 200, 250 meter mark, you hit what is often described as the wall. And it's at this point where you're, you're running 85%, you got people on your left, people on your right, you're still holding a pretty good pace and you're, on, you're sprinting, but then your body starts to catch up with what's actually happening. And you start to feel the grind. You start to feel the struggle. And it's a little harder for your body to kind of process the oxygen and take it wherever it has to go in your body. You hit a wall and you start to feel the exhaustion. But then the last part of the race, the strategy, once you hit the 300 meter mark and you only have one straight shoot left, do you know what the strategy is? You give it all that you got. And you just go at 110%. And you know why you can do that? Because you can see the finish line. You can see the finish line. And when you see the finish line, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how exhausted, because the end is near. There is a finish line, and I think that's a promise for us today. Because Jesus will solve our suffering. And there, you've probably bumped into people who, who like to speculate, you know, when, when is Jesus coming back? These verses clearly talk about Jesus returning to bring all things to completion. And so you've probably even had conversations just out of curiosity yourself. You know, when is Jesus coming back? Tons of books have been written about this, trying to predict when Jesus will come back. You know what? Don't even bother. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. We have no idea when Jesus will come back. But we know it will be soon. And it may, be saying, it may sound a little redundant, because this was written 2,000 years ago. And the Bible's telling us that Jesus is coming soon. But what is 2,000 years in light of eternity with Jesus? Even if Jesus doesn't come back for another 2,000, 4,000 years is that much in comparison to eternity with Jesus. And we can't even fathom, like literally, I don't think we can fathom what eternity actually means. Whether it's tomorrow, whether it's 2,000 years, it represents that much in the width of this whole room. There is a finish line. I want to walk you through a thought experiment for a second. I want you to imagine with me that you know Jesus is coming back this Thursday at supper time. Okay? Jesus is coming. You know that you know that you know that Jesus is coming back this Thursday at supper time. Think with me. What kind of conversations would you, would you have this week if you knew that was happening? What kind of risks would you take if you knew that was going to happen? The way you acted around people, the things you refrain or don't refrain from, how would it impact your Sunday night through Thursday at supper if you knew Jesus was coming Thursday? My guess would be you would be pretty radical with it. You'd probably have the conversations that you've been putting off. 
You'd probably take a risk with Jesus that you know that he wants you to take. You'd probably step into a new level of, I'm in the same boat as you. You'd probably step into something that you've kind of been putting off. Because what do we do? We often justify our mistakes because we believe that there'll be time to make it right. And unfortunately, we don't always get that, do we? There is a finish line. We don't know when, but it shouldn't affect the way we obey Jesus and radically follow him. These verses also mention uh, the prophets. The prophets in the Old Testament are mentioned here as an example of faithfulness. And what's the significance of that? If you read about all the prophets in the Old Testament, one of the common threads you'll see is that many of them preached the gospel, preached a, a message of repentance and judgment to nations or to people, and then they died before they actually saw the change. Take Jeremiah, for example. You may recognize the name Jeremiah. God gave him a message of judgment. He wa- God wanted to use Jeremiah to preach and bring the nation of Israel back in line with the will and the rule and reign of God. And so he preached and he preached and he, and he warned against what would happen. And the nation didn't listen. And shortly after, we see that the Babylonian Empire invades Israel, takes over, and carries out the Israelites into exile. And Jeremiah still preached. And you know what? He died before he ever saw his people return back to their home country. The call is faithfulness. There's a finish line. Some days it's clearer than others, but our responsibility is faithfulness. There's a day where all will be perfected. There will be a day where all will be perfected. And we long for that. And we feel it. We feel that inward, scripture describes an inward groan. We groan inwardly as we await for that day. We, we're, I used a silly example about fly fishing, but we have that. We kind of carry around with us the grind and we long for our suffering just to be over with. And there's something deep inside of us that longs for that day and kind of knows that that day's coming soon. But right now, the war is won, but the enemy is resisting. And that's why we deal with a lot of the suffering that we go through. I mentioned that me and my cousin go on a fly fishing trip every year. And this past year, we went two days, only caught one fish. And it was miserable, if I can be honest with you. I had no hope. I said, oh, man, I've used my vacation time on this. What am I doing? But then the next morning came, the last morning. And we fished for about five hours. And after a miserable two days, I ended up catching one of the biggest fish I've ever caught. And you know what I did not say after I caught that fish? I did not say, you know what? I don't know if it was worth it. I was so excited. I said, it was worth it. I don't care how many rivers we walked down. I don't care how frustrated I was. It was worth it. And maybe you're here today and you are just up against some suffering and you're wondering, God, I just don't know. I don't know how I can keep showing up. I don't know if I can keep just sustaining this positivity and trying to just spin things for the better over and over and over. I don't know if I have the strength for this. Maybe you find it hard to believe that Jesus solves our suffering. 
We deal with that longing. We, we deal with that perseverance. We feel the tension like we're being pulled in every single direction. And most times, if we're being honest, most of our weeks are like that. But there will be a day when all will be perfected. And I would venture to say that you will say it was worth it. Sometimes as we dive into studying the word of God, sometimes it requires an action from us. You know, we're in relationship with Jesus. And so by nature of relationships, there's, there's action on, by both parties. So sometimes you'll notice in scripture, there is a clear action for us to take. And I personally like those because I like to be able to like take things into my own control, right? But tonight I think it's a little different. And I get the sense that tonight, if you find yourself in the in-between, trying to sort out the suffering, and you're asking when, when's it going to end, I wish it would. I sense that God may want to pour out his grace on you tonight. I believe that God wants to bless you with a supernatural inner strengthening of your spirit. As you think through all the types of suffering that might be represented in your life or in the life of the person next to you, you cannot do it on your own strength. You cannot. You may be right now, but it is not sustainable. And you probably feel the exhaustion of it already. But we serve a God of abundance. And I believe that God wants to strengthen your inner spirit with the resources that only he has. A grace that we don't deserve. A grace that we cannot earn. It is pure gift from him. Ephesians says, according to the riches of his glory, may he grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. May he grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit, through his presence in you. We're going to take communion in a bit. And what I love about communion is that communion is a means of grace. It's actually a symbol that represents the sacrifice that Jesus made. And to you, maybe communion is like, it's kind of like that churchy thing that you always did with your family growing up. Or maybe it, you're starting to shift your perspective on it. This represents the grace of Jesus. And every time we take communion, we are reminded that Jesus died for us and was raised to life. And he is coming again. And he gives grace he strengthens. You do not have to do this out of your own strength. That's what's beautiful about this. God knows you can't pull it off, and he knows I can't pull it off. I want to take time to pray before we go into this next song. I want you to take this next song. I want us to reflect on where we stand with Jesus. I want us to be receptive to the grace that he wants to pour out. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we welcome you. We're thankful that 
we have permission to admit that life involves suffering and we don't have to spin it. We are so thankful that you redeem our suffering and you do not waste it. And we anticipate the day where all suffering will be resolved, Jesus. But tonight, for those of us who can't stop thinking about the pinch that we're in, the suffering that we're experiencing, it consumes our thoughts at night and our waking hours. Father, you know our needs. You know those of us in this room who are wrestling deeply with the suffering that they're going through. And Father, I pray here and now, in real time, that you strengthen our inner spirit. Let your grace wash over us like melted wax. Father, strengthen our inner spirit with your grace. We cannot earn it. We don't deserve it. We're just humble recipients, grateful for how much you love us. And we hold our hands open and surrender, Father. We can't perform for this. We can only receive it as pure gift. We pray for a supernatural inner strengthening tonight, Father. Because we need strength for the, babe, but for the battle and we can't do it ourselves. And as we reflect before we head into communion, Father, prepare our hearts for the symbols that represent sustenance in you. Let this not be a night where we just kind of take the, the elements of communion as ritual or as tradition. Let it be an impactful moment of intimacy with you, Father. We pray this in your name. Amen. We really hope that this message has motivated you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and has inspired you to join us in our mission to take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to know how you can get involved, send us an email at office at coastalchurchns.com. We'd love to get connected with you. Have a great day.